Thank you, worship band. Thanks for joining us and leading us. Campbell, thank you. That was the second time she's been up here before. The first time was last week. And it sounds like she's been doing it her whole life. So thanks for, thanks for leading us, Campbell. So beautiful. So beautiful. Um, little kids, preschoolers, just want to let you know in about um, 10 minutes, maybe less, depends on how wordy I get. I'm going to ask you to come up here and join me. And I got a little treat for you. But you got 10 minutes. Do you think you can handle it? 10 minutes, you think you can hold it together? All right. I think I believe in you. I believe in you. But I'll call you up. Don't worry. And when you come, it'll be great. It'll be incredible. So and I was explaining last week how every year I have this, this thought in my mind and this, this desire for all of us that we would experience Christmas for all that it is and, and that the Jesus of Christmas would consume our thoughts and our minds all throughout Christmas. And we, we'd get to the end and we'd be like, wow, I just experienced the true meaning of Christmas. And year after year, I come to January and feel disappointed because I'm like, I, I didn't, I didn't, get, I didn't get there. And I think it's because I had this kind of, kind of arbitrary goal that I didn't really define of like, what would have it meant to make Christmas all about Jesus? And so this year, I've kind of pulled back and I've just said, you know what? I want just a few moments, just a few moments throughout the next couple of weeks where I, for just even a few seconds, turn my thoughts to Jesus during Christmas. Not a whole day, not a whole week, but just a few seconds. And so last week we talked about this, and I just talked about Christmas lights. How, you know, we have all these reminders throughout Christmas about Christmas being about Jesus. And so I thought I'd pick out Christmas lights, because we see them all the time. And we had this phrase that we said, when you see Christmas lights this week, try to remember to say this phrase. And I, I actually personalized it a little bit this week. I changed it a little bit. Uh, Jesus, you are the light in the darkness. Jesus, you are the light in the darkness. And I don't know if you got a chance to say that this week when you turned on your Christmas tree or when it popped on automatically. Did you get a chance to just for a moment realize that the significance of Christmas lights is that Jesus is the light in the darkness? I hope you had a chance to do that. If not, hey, there's plenty more Christmas lights in your future. Okay, so you see them say, Jesus, you are the light in the darkness. But this week, I wanted to pick something else, and it is the nativity scene. Uh, I'd love to just chat about the significance of the nativity. I think I have one up here, a picture of the nativity scene. Um, have you guys seen a few of these in the last week or two? Have you passed by a couple of nativity scenes, and, and you've seen them? And Well, let me ask you. How was that experience for you? Like when you pass by the nativity scene sitting maybe on your, your side table in your living room, did it just grab your heart? Did it just make you, you know, stand in awe for a moment? Uh, were you just mystified by the glory of that moment? Or maybe you were passing by one on the highway and you saw one off in like maybe your church's front yard and just, did it grab you? Did it just, probably not. Neither for me either. I passed by 20 nativity scenes in the last week. None of them jumped out at me. My, my heart wasn't consumed with what was happening there in the nativity scene. And it, and it just makes us wonder, like, how should we view a nativity scene? Like, what's the significance? What could grab our hearts? How should we view the nativity? 
So that's what I'd like to just explore today. We explored Christmas lights that last week. This week, you see a nativity scene this week. I got a phrase for you, not yet, but a phrase that might help us capture the moment of Jesus in Christmas through the nativity. Uh, you, you'd imagine uh, that nativity seems so commonplace, and I've passed by so many this last week, that when I read this a couple of weeks ago, talking about the nativity, um, I was confused because it seemed like a view of the nativity scene I didn't have. Tim Keller wrote this in his Christmas book called Hidden Christmas, and he writes this about a nativity scene. Um, some have argued that the supreme miracle of Christianity is not the resurrection of Christ from the dead, but the incarnation, but the nativity scene. The beginningless, am I saying that right? The beginningless, omnipotent creator of the universe took on a human nature without the loss of his deity so that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, was both fully divine and fully human. Of all the things that Christianity proclaims, this is the most staggering. That's what he's saying when he thinks of the nativity scene is that of more than the cross, more than the resurrection, the nativity scene. The fit little baby sitting in the manger, lying in a stable. Like that could possibly be the most staggering moment in all of history. And I have to admit, I, I just don't view it. Like it just doesn't capture me like that. It's cute, right? It's adorable. But is it staggering to you? Well, John in chapter one of, uh, of his letter, he, he kind of presents it this way. And it maybe opens up our eyes a little bit. John 1, starting right there at verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word is his, his word for Jesus, okay? So in the beginning was Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God, okay? So Jesus is and was God. He was in the beginning with God. It means like the beginning of everything. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was nothing, was not anything made that was made. It's like Jesus was before everything, made everything. Just kind of look around the room for a second. I know they're not like on a mountaintop looking out at the view, but everything here, your hands, all of you, the person next to you, everything here was made by Jesus. And then John turns the corner here and he says this in verse 14. And the word became flesh. I love another translation. It says, the word put on flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Remember last week we talked about that word glory means his brightness. The brightness as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He's painting this picture of the nativity scene. But he's painting it a little differently. Maybe not the way that we always view it. We see the cute little baby but John is saying in the nativity scene, it's like a giant funnel. Okay, this is my picture for you. It's like a, the nativity scene, we should view it like a giant funnel. All of the glory, all of the majesty, all of the creation power, all of the powerful strength, all of the love, everything of, of God is funneled down at the nativity scene in that moment into a little tiny baby. And that's the miracle. 
That's, it, you know, I, I could see it in a, in a movie form. I don't know, maybe you could think of it in a movie form. They'd have like lightning bolts shooting and they'd have oceans pouring in and they'd have mountains crumbling in and they'd have stars falling in the sun and they'd all down to a little baby and they'd fill the baby. That's the glory of who Jesus is in that moment. Everything is in that tiny baby in that moment. So every fall, I like to make apple pies. Um, I don't really bake much, okay? I probably bake like two things a year. Apple pie is one of them. And uh, I get as many apples as I can. And I love the apple part of the apple pie. I don't really eat it for the crust. I eat apple pies for the apple part, right? And so I stuff as many apples as I can into each pie. I usually make two into each pie as I possibly can. So, you know, if this is, it like mounds up like this as I put it in. It, I have to take like a, a grate out of the oven so I can fit it in there. And then of course it's so full that as it's cooking, it's kind of spitting out all over my oven and probably makes a mess. Uh, but I just want to fill as much as I possibly can into that apple pie. That's baby Jesus. Did you get it? The analogy? God took everything of himself, all that he could, Everything that is Jesus, all the power, all the glory, all the majesty, all the creation, all the love, all the sacrifice, and packed it all in at once into a tiny baby, which is unbelievable. And that's why Tim Keller calls it the, the staggering miracle, that that could actually happen. J.A. Uh, Packer writes about it very similarly. He, he says this, look, God became man, the divine son became a Jew, the almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Again, he's saying, when we look at the nativity scene, that's what should come to mind. That nothing in all of history or creation or even in fiction is as staggering as this moment of this baby being born. So I thought I'd, I'd help us figure it, figure it out a little bit. Okay, so... The distance from Earth to the sun uh, is 90, I have to look at my notes here, I didn't memorize it, sorry, um, 93 million miles, which we're like, yeah, that's a lot, I guess, I don't really know, that seems like a lot, okay? Um, so first of all, Jesus created the sun, and Jesus created the Earth, and he created everything in between, but the distance, just to help us understand Jesus' power, is 93 million miles. But let's pretend, let's re relate 93 million miles to a sheet of paper, like the thinness of a sheet of paper, like one, just looking at it sideways, the thinness of a sheet of paper, that represents the 93 million miles, okay? So the distance from uh, Earth to the nearest star, which the nearest star is called Proxima Centauri, okay? The distance from our sun to the nearest sun is the same as if you were to take those, that one single sheet of paper 
and lay another one, another 93 million miles, and another 93 million miles, and another 93 miles, over and over and over and over again until your stack of paper was 75 feet tall. That would be like double the ceiling. That's the distance just from our sun to the next sun. 93 million miles times all, you know, stacks and stacks of paper, 75 feet tall. And Jesus created that and everything in between. And then if you were to think about our, our galaxy, you know, and if you were wondering, okay, you know, we got the Milky Way, we're a cool galaxy, okay, I wonder how far it is from one side of our galaxy to the other side of our galaxy. Well, what would that look like in 93 million stacks of paper, okay? So remember, there's the tiny little thin sheets of paper. How would they stack? What would the distance be? Well, if you stack them, the diameter of the Milky Way would stack sheets of paper side by side all the way from here to Charleston, South Carolina. That's the distance of the Milky Way. That many, 93 million sheets of paper. I mean, again, it's just, it's numbers and distances we can't even comprehend. And, and then if, if you were to ask, what's the distance from our Milky Way to the next galaxy, which is the Andromeda galaxy, and Jesus created all that galaxy and all the other galaxy and everything in between, what would be the distance? Stacks of sheets of paper all representing 93 million miles. That stack of paper would wrap around the earth 499 times just from here to the closest galaxy. And there are over two trillion galaxies in the sky that we can see, not with our naked eyes, but from telescopes at this moment, two trillion galaxies, all that Jesus made. And if you were to look up in the stars and see all of those galaxies and count all of the stars, there are more stars, this is, scientists have tried to count this, a little difficult, but they're guessing. There are more stars visible in the sky than there are grains of sand on every beach in the world in every desert on our planet. More stars. Not to include all of the planets that surround them. And Jesus made them all. And all of that from stretching from as far as one galaxy to the other and trillions of galaxies and billions and billions and billions of stars. All of that power in one night is funneled down into a little baby sitting in a manger and what you and I see as the nativity scene. That's the glory of the nativity scene. How should we view a nativity scene then? Or maybe even more importantly is how should we view the baby? How should we view that baby when we see the nativity scene? Well, Paul gives us some insight into that question. In Philippians 2, 5, he just says this. He talks about Jesus like this. He says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, emptying himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he's like, okay, that's all that Jesus was in that baby, growing up in a man, all that he became. And he says, this is the, the appropriate response to that baby. Verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How should we respond to the baby? 
just like that. Paul says it, and he even says that God sets it up. Like God says, this should be the appropriate response to Jesus is we all should bend our knee and bow and say, you are the Lord. We see all that power. We see all the glory. We see all of the strength, all of the majesty. We see all of the humility, all of the love, all of the sacrifice, and all of the perfection boiled down into a tiny little baby born on Christmas night. And what should our response be to that baby? Jesus, you are the king of my heart. Jesus, you are the king of my heart. That's when the next time you see a nativity scene, I just want to encourage you, think about that and just throw that line out. Could you say it with me? Just say it with me one time, all right? Jesus, you are the king of my heart. And maybe one more time. I know that was, try, try one more time. Ready? Jesus, you are the king of my heart. The next time you see a nativity scene, look at that baby in the nativity scene and think about all of the universe that lies in that baby. And the appropriate response is, Jesus, you are the king of my heart. I'm just going to end with this one line because 33 years later, that baby, as a man, confirms that that is the appropriate response to that baby. This is what that baby said 33 years later in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus, then Jesus told his disciples, look, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's like, hey, if you want to be a part of my, my group, I'm the king. You deny yourself and you do what I say. I'm the king. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life, lose it. But whoever loses his life and makes me the king, they will save it. That is the appropriate response. The baby in the manger is Jesus, you are the king of my life. So that's just, that's the challenge for all of us. You see a nativity scene this week. Look at the baby Jesus there and say, Jesus, you are the king of my heart. You're the king. You get to say what goes. You get to say up, down, left, right. Say this, don't say that. Think this, don't think this. You are the king of my heart. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have the kids come up. Jesus, we just pray that this week, as we begin to move towards Christmas, would you remind us that, Jesus, you are the king of our hearts. Would we see that baby for the glory and miracle that it really is, that God of the universe boiled down into our hearts? And Lord, the hardest thing is that we would humble our hearts to make you the king. Would you help us this week to say yes? Yes, Lord, whatever, you are the king. In your name we pray, amen.